Welcome to Season 2 of the Undetected Narcissist Podcast. Your host, Angela Meyer, is here to bring you clarity if you are stuck in confusion. She is an award-winning hypnotherapist, wellness coach, trauma recovery specialist, and NLP practitioner. In Season 2, Angela will cover various mental health topics that are designed to shift your perspective and support humanity as a whole. There is always a blog post with supporting information, so please visit undetectednarcissist.com. So enjoy, relax, listen, and learn as we embark on this wonderful podcast today with you. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Undetected Narcissist. Today, I'm talking about something really exciting to me, and I really, really think this opens up a huge can of worms in the area of autism and understanding pathological demand avoidance, which is considered PDA. And if any of you have purchased my book and have read it, after you listen to this podcast, it might shine a huge light on autism, especially PDA. So let's dive into this because this information is gold. And when I spoke to my best friend this morning about my blog post, what I was creating, she was like, oh my God, you need to educate people about this. You need to talk about this because this is so valuable and important. So you can tell I'm excited. <laughs> I really am. I hope you are as well. So let's dive in to understanding pathological demand avoidance, PDA. So when I first came across this, it was a little scary. And it was really eye opening for me, especially if you are a person that has a child with autism. Okay, and as you know, my child has autism. All those behaviors can be puzzling. And if I'm going to be transparent here, like most parents, I took those odd behaviors and traits personally. I questioned my parenting abilities. PDA is a profile under the autism umbrella where people avoid daily demands, often utilizing social strategies such as distractions and hypoarousal or hyperarousal states. The underlying cause for this avoidance is the child is experiencing high anxiety levels. The high levels of anxiety is usually based on expectations of demands placed on the child with a PDA. Okay? These high levels of anxiety can lead to a sense of not being in control of a situation. If you want to learn more about PDA and autism, there's a link on the bot post. So below is a list in this blog post of the characteristics and traits of PDA. One, a resistance or avoidance of the typical demands of life such as showering, brushing your teeth, getting dressed, going to bed, or school projects. Two, use of social strategies to avoid these demands. They will find distractions, they can pretend they can't walk, they shut down, or they blow up. 
Three, appearance of social ability without social understanding. That one was really interesting because the child wants to be a co-teacher or a co-parent. So you can see them actually wanting to be a teacher's aide or I'm going to parent someone else's child. It's a really interesting trait. The next one is heightened emotions or excessive mood swings. It's a perceived loss of autonomy, which activates an extreme threat response, which is either the hyperarousal or the hypoarousal response. Next one is comfortability using role and pretend play. There's obsessive behavior that often focuses on people, and that can show up as love or hate. There's a strong need for control over their environment. They have difficulty completing non-preferred tasks. They appear sociable on the surface, but can say shocking or out-of-the-ordinary comments. And then lastly, because of the shocking comments, they can tend to sabotage friendships. So therefore, I want to help because it can be so challenging. It was challenging for me. After all, I was in the dark. And why this information is important is about a month ago, my son's therapist asked me if I knew about PDA. I was clueless and he was shocked. I'm intelligent, yet there is always new information from other countries that can take a while to reach the United States. What made me feel a little bit better was he didn't even know about it himself. And he's a trauma specialist. His client told him about it. That is why continued education is critical for all mental health professionals. People need to be up to speed and up to date with the latest information on mental health discoveries. Yet, still there is so much information and so little time. So when he looked up the behaviors and traits, my son's therapist said to me, the first person I thought of was your child. We have been struggling with this for years and months in therapy. This is your kiddo in a nutshell. When he read to me the behaviors and traits, a light bulb went off inside my head, and this information was gold, and I had to share it. So understanding pathological demand avoidance at first can seem overwhelming. The way we communicate and parent must change, but it takes practice. What puzzled my son's therapist is he's had four neuropsychological evaluations by psychologists, and none mentioned or diagnosed him with PDA. That missing profile of PDA, which is woven into autism, should be included in a child's evaluation or assessment, because it is information that everyone must have to learn to support the child better. That is why parents have their children take a neuropsychological evaluation. Parents want to learn how to understand better their child's unique needs and what tools or resources are available based on the evaluation's final results. Leaving that vital information out leaves the parents, therapists, 
psychiatrists, teachers, caregivers, family members, peers, and the children in the dark. This needs to change because children are not getting the proper treatment and support they need at home, school, and developing healthy life skills. This should explain why many health, mental health professionals and autism teachers do not know about PDA. In my research to better understand and support my son, I discovered that PDA, pathological demand avoidance, is not in the DMS-5. And yeah, that does really upset me. And I'll tell you why. So why is PDA not in the DSM-5? Why it is not is PDA is only under the umbrella of autism. But trying to find PDA within the autism umbrella was highly challenging. In fact, I could not find it on the internet. Therefore, if I cannot find it, others cannot either. This means many other loving and supportive individuals cannot either. Can you understand why I want to help? I hope so. Therefore, PDA is more about the traits and characteristics based on the particular kiddos with autism. And PDA is linked to trauma. I have talked a lot about trauma in the past. I even wrote about trauma. So PDA might show up because the trauma one experiences with authority figures are closely woven into many PDA, hypoarousal, and the hypoarousal traits and behaviors. My son had 90% of the PDA warning signs, and nobody told me anything about it for years. Years. All those mental health professionals said nothing until a month ago. So how can PDA be misdiagnosed? Unfortunately, people like my son often face misunderstanding, and misdiagnosis. PDA can mask or influence the presentation of the autistic traits. This could explain how can PDA be misdiagnosed. This masking and subtle influence can lead to confusion and difficulty in identifying the various autism umbrella characteristics and traits. Additionally, PDA can often go unrecognized and is frequently misdiagnosed with behavioral disorders such as ADHD, ADD, ODD, and other conduct disorders. In my research about PDA, I discovered that many people can notice that there are similar traits to narcissism, but they are not narcissistic. Let me explain. When the child is in the hyper-arousal state, the child will explode into anger. The temper, tone of voice, lack of empathy, and need to be in control can be overwhelming and scary for any parent. The child or teenager has an anxiety attack. The heart is racing and people get confused. The child is trying to find a sense of control by using force. 
Remember the map of consciousness? In the book, The PDA Paradox, he talks about how some behaviors and traits can come across as being narcissistic, confusing people. Yet he still did not discuss what I discovered to be the most valuable information for society. And that is what I'm talking about all here today. So as you all know, I wrote the book, The Undetected Narcissist. Looking back at what we experienced, I can see the first signs of PDA. Our son did not have PDA when he was younger. He would joyfully get dressed, shower, brush his teeth, go to bed on time. The PDA behavior showed up when he felt helpless, out of control, and his father was creating the drama to change custody when he was around seven or eight. If you have read the book, I want you to see if you can see what I see, because there is a pattern of behavior. PDA will trigger either two different responses when a person experiences anxiety and stress. There will either be the hyperarousal, the fight or flight response, or they go into hypoarousal, which is collapse and helplessness state. In fact, all humans have these two responses which I will unpack in my next blog post podcast. So let me explain a little further. At first, we all feel this need to fight back when someone is trying to dominate or control us. Kids talk back and parents yell back. This would be considered hyperarousal. Hyperarousal is where the person is mobilized into panic fear, worry, irritation, impulsivity, the heart races, increased stress hormones, aggression, sense of threat, and it is a sympathetic mode of fight or flight. Yet, from my experience and observation from raising my son, the child becomes more and more reactive when the anxiety is not resolved and keeps escalating. The threat never disappears, and the person can become hypervigilant. His window of tolerance shrinks, making it extremely challenging for him to manage the stress response placed upon his little body. That is why our son was diagnosed with ADHD. But PDA can appear to be ADHD by accident. The challenging part of being a parent is when a child displays all these red flag behaviors, a parent can easily be blamed for their parenting abilities or lack of parenting abilities. As you all know, I was accused in family court of my son's PDA autism behaviors, and there was a lot, over 100 school documents of meltdowns and it was all my fault. Crazy as it sounds, this is happening every day to other parents. And this is what I was told. It is literally happening every day to other parents in family court. And I talked to a domestic violence advocate, and she's like, yeah, it does. It's considered child abuse, 
it happens every day and no one's stopping it. No one's really talking about it. So I'm talking about it here. All right. Because it has to stop. These kids are suffering. And so the thing that's so crazy and as crazy as it does sound, it is so easy to blame. It's so much easier to find blame than to accept the child has a mental health issue that a mental health professional has not yet discovered, okay? And since everyone was in the dark about PDA, my son was taken away from me for eight months, a loving, nurturing parent, and our son was sent to live with the person that gave him complex PTSD, extremely authoritarian and a covert narcissist. It is entirely wrong and hard to wrap one's head around it. But I can see the links between trauma, autism, and PDA. My book should be a roadmap for what to expect when dealing with family law and autism. It's not a happy story, but family law needs to wake up to this form of abuse and legal ingest. So, I don't want to seem like I'm about to go on a rant, but families are suffering across the United States. I feel that family law and autism need a reality check. Why? Well, what my son and I experience happens every day in family court because autism behaviors are easily blamed on caregivers or parents. It is hard to defend yourself against it in court. Because family law is not up to speed with autism and PDA behaviors, children with autism are traumatized and misunderstood. And when someone cannot explain why the child is acting out, the easy way out is to play the blame game. Playing the blame game then puts the burden on the individual and their parents or parent for their explosive meltdowns and responses to autonomy threats. This can leave parents feeling helpless and confused after trying a variety of therapies, medications, and parenting tactics. I know. I was confused and I felt helpless often. And it shocked everyone that the judge believed that all his autistic autism behaviors would go away if he lived with his father. But let me explain my son and the judge's logic, because you're going to get it. Our son was masking when he was with his father. At the time, I do not, I didn't know about masking. Nobody else knew about masking. This means even the therapist, psychologist, and psychiatrist didn't know about masking. Therefore, fault finding was easier. The child behaves at the father's house and acts out at the mother's. The logical conclusion would be to blame the mother. Therefore, the mother is guilty in the eyes of the family court because the behaviors are unexplainable by other mental health professionals. Here is what I discovered about masking. Masking is a complex and costly survival strategy for autistic people. It generally involves intentionally learning 
neurotypical behaviors and mimicking them in social settings. Sometimes masking focuses on hiding behaviors that people feel won't be accepted. Masking autism may sometimes help protect autistic people from being outed or harassed at school or work. I'm going to include home because it happened in a home. This behavior is not always intentional, which can lead to confusion about a person's identity. Regardless of intentionally masking can also lead to serious health consequences. So it's important to understand the behavior and its effects on people who regularly mask their neurodivergent behaviors. Our son was masking. He was pretending to be normal. I often heard his father and the father's biological mother say to my son and I, we just wish he was normal. Imagine what that must do to an autistic child's sense of self. It can be soul crushing not to be accepted by his own family. It explains why he clung to me for safety, compassion, love, and security. He could not be his authentic, autistic self around his father. Masking for several days can be exhausting. It explains why he would cry and have a meltdown when he was dropped off at school or home. He hated masking. He just wanted to be loved and accepted by his father, but felt he could not be himself. My son's therapist told me I was given the best compliment nobody wants to hear. My son acted out in my house because he felt safe and loved. He knew I would not shame, insult, punish, or hurt him. He trusted me. What I could not do was tell him to act out at his father's house because I was being blamed for his behaviors at school and at my home. I could not tell him it was a clever trap that would fool everyone in family court. Eventually, my son figured out the web of lies and took matters in his own hands. So again, I wrote the book to prevent this form of misdiagnosis when it comes to autism, to protect families, and to save lives. Therefore, the judge did what she thought was the best for our son, because he would be on his best behavior at his father's house. She did not know he was masking, and she didn't know she was making a big mistake. She apologized when he was returned to me, and she even shed a tear. And I don't hate her. I hope she learned a valuable lesson about family law, autism, and PDA. Family law must get up to speed in understanding autism and PDA, because family law will misdiagnose autistic behaviors and focus solely on blame. Therefore, it is crucial to recognize and understand the characteristics of PDA to support individuals with PDA and loving, nurturing parents. Identifying and understanding the characteristics of a PDA is essential for effectively supporting someone with PDA and everyone in the individual's life.
because there are a mixed bag of information out there. Also, the neurodivergent nervous system tends to be more rigid. This means it can more easily flip into a stressed state. When someone with PDA is in a stressful state, it can make simple everyday demands like putting on your shoes or brushing your teeth challenging. Therefore, low-demand parenting approaches and indirect request communications are often recommended to support individuals with PDA. That's why it is recommended to focus on reducing demands and offering choices that promote freedom and independence. Now, in my next blog post and podcast, I will dive deeper into understanding pathological demand avoidance. I want to educate everyone about the following, the window of tolerance, hyperarousal, hypoarousal, and nervous system check-in. If you want to know all the references for this information, the links are in the blog post. Thank you for listening, and I hope everyone has a fantastic day. Take care.